0: why didn't anyone mention the church the forum was an adult sunday school class where fifty adults had just been asked who or what influenced your life of faith the most popular answer was my mother the second was my father grandparents and godparents each scored high and life events like the birth of a child or the death of a loved one, or being in war, were also quite high. The group was then shown a list of what youth from 7th to 12th grades listed as the top five influences on their faith. 74% of young women and 81% of young men had their mother in their top five. 50% of young women and 61% of young men had their father in their top five. While Pastor did score well, featuring in 44% of young women's top five and 57% of young men's top five, its scores were still closer to grandparents than they were to mother. Why didn't anyone mention the church was the question raised by a member of the Sunday school class after this exercise. And by that he meant, why didn't anyone mention Sunday school classes, like the one he was in, or confirmation classes? or a meaningful sermon? Why didn't anyone mention the myriad church programs that a church that could have a 50-member adult Sunday school class surely must be offering? How is it possible that in a room full of church people, many of whom I'm sure grew up in the church, no one saw church programs as a universal and impactful influence on their faith? This morning, I want us to come to see that they all did mention the church, just not as we typically conceive it. This morning, we are looking at the question, how Christians pass on their faith. So I told the kids that story about the apples and the seeds because they're learning about creation today and also because we are going to talk about planting seeds of faith in young people. Look at that. See what I did there? and your resource for further reading should you so choose where this story came from uh, is is a book frogs without legs can't hear by david anderson and paul hill it's a book with an admittedly strange title that comes from this story a mad scientist wanted to study the leaping ability of frogs so he took a frog and shouted jump frog jump And responding to the noise, the frog jumped. The scientist measured the leaps of the jump, repeating the procedure a few times. He then surgically removed one of the legs of the frog. He placed the frog back on the lab table and said, jump, frog, jump. Again, responding to the noise, the frog jumped. He measured the distance of that jump. The scientist then surgically removed another of the frog's legs and repeated the process. The frog responded to the noise and jumped. The scientist surgically removed a third leg and again got the frog to jump by saying, jump, frog, jump. Lastly, the scientist removed the fourth and final leg of the frog. He placed the frog on the table and shouted, jump, frog, jump. But the frog stayed where it had been placed. The scientist took the results of his experiments in and with great satisfaction came to his conclusion Frogs without legs can't hear. It's a terrible story, I know. It's terrible. However, the authors posit if we in the church aren't making the same mistake that the scientist made. No, we are not surgically removing limbs, but bear with me. We in the church desperately want to pass down our faith to the next generations. And yet we are seeing rates of faith decreasing with each successive generation. And that anxiety causes us to pump more and more resources and attention into church education programs and curricula that promise to be the silver bullet when it comes to making younger generations into disciples. The authors suggest that our attention might be misplaced. The author suggests that if the church is a frog, the head is church leadership, and the torso is the public gathering of the church for worship, education, etc. And that the legs are the day-in and day-out homes of the faithful. And we have failed to tend to that aspect of the church frog, which is something we should have known all along, because it's right there in the Bible. I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 11. God says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what he did in Dothan and Abiram, sons of Eliab the Rebunite, Reubenite. We believe in grace. When the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. I love this passage for its wonderful simplicity and yet immense depth. Deuteronomy is all about how the successive generations will live and how they will live faithfully according to the laws of God. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arms, the signs he performed, and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both the Pharaoh and the king of Egypt and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, and, what, and it was not your children who saw what he did in the wilderness." I love how clearly that this presents the problem. When your children become adults and begin to make decisions for themselves about how they will live, how they will structure their lives, which gods they will follow, remember they didn't see what you saw. They didn't see the Red Sea part. They didn't see the plagues. They didn't see the water come from the rock. They didn't see all the things that you saw that are the basis of your life and faith. We forget this in the church. You are here because at some point, God came alive in your life. Maybe it was on a mission trip. Maybe it was on an Emmaus weekend. Maybe it was through the course of being raised in the faith that some adult took an interest in you. Someone asked a question. Someone showed you amazing love and generosity. Someone showed you a life that you wanted to have. Something happened. There is a reason that you are here today. Whatever it is, though... It happened to you it didn't happen to your kids it didn't happen to your family members it didn't happen to your grandkids it didn't happen to your spouse it was in your eyes it was in your heart it was in your soul it was in you that things happened it's just as much a problem for us as it was for the Israelites and since God wasn't going to enslave his people just so he could free them again a solution was needed And here it is. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames or your houses or your gates. The solution was to make faith a regular part of your home. unless you think this is merely metaphorical, there are faithful Jews who have a box on their front door and on their foreheads and on their wrists that contain the words of the Shema, Hear O Israel, the Lord your God is one. For ancient Israelites, the solution of how to pass on their faith involved connecting faith with everyday life of the home. And what we are finding more and more is that for it is true for Christians as well. How do Christians pass on their faith? Through connecting what we do here on Sunday mornings to the ways you live your daily lives at home. Whether your objective is to pass on your faith to your children, to other family members, to your neighbors, to grandkids, to people you mentor, the key is connecting church and home, or more properly, coming to see your home as a key part of church. So how do we do this? Luckily, Anderson and Hill have five principles, four keys, and three characteristics that will allow you to pass on your faith more effectively. And it is to those things that we will now turn. The five principles. Faith is formed by the power of the Holy Spirit through personal, trusted relationships, often, though not exclusively, in our own homes. This is the central tenet of the book simply put church programs don't make disciples disciples make disciples I will say this again church programs don't make disciples disciples make disciples faith is formed through the Holy Spirit working through personal trusted relationships it's what the story we began with this sermon not the one about the frog the one about the people it's the one that it's what that story was about and it's been confirmed by myriad studies throughout the last decades When people keep their faith into adulthood, almost universally they can point to a trusted adult that was the main influence on their faith development. Someone made faith real to them. Our faith is handed down person to person. I'm saying the same things over and over again in different ways because this is just true. And we have to accept it if we are going to make our homes a place of faith development. The second principle the church is a living partnership between the ministry of the congregation and the ministry of the home if we accept that faith is formed through the Holy Spirit working through personal trusted relationships often in the home then it reframes what we mean when we say church church isn't just a building you come for worship fellowship activities programs classes etc church isn't an isolated area of our lives church isn't an activity we don't go to church we are the church sing it if you know it I am the church you are the church we are the church together all who follow Jesus all around the world yes we are the church together I will not be singing the praise band anytime soon so if we really believe that then we never leave church church isn't a place or a thing that we come to and leave from if we are the church then we are the church at home too We are the church in school and at work and on the soccer fields and in the grocery store. We are the church on 95, although that might be another sermon. (laughs) And so the ministry of the congregation, what we do here on Sunday mornings and what you do in your small groups is deeply connected with what you do at home and at work and in other places of your life. So church becomes a partnership between Sunday and Monday, between morning worship and evening dinner, between the work of the people and the people at work. But for the church to be a partnership between the ministry of the congregation and the ministry of the home doesn't mean that the ministry of the congregation takes the place of the ministry of the home. We don't usurp, nor do we let you abdicate, your role as parents. Parenting is a spiritual exercise. And Deuteronomy didn't say that the key to passing on faith to children was to take them to Torah school but for parents to talk to their children about what they have seen. For the church to be a partnership between congregation and home means that the ministry of the congregation is to equip and support parents and adults as they seek to pass on faith to children and the next generations through the ministry of the home. Third principle. Where Christ is present in faith, the home is church too. In 1987, the Redskins won the Super Bowl. No, six Protestant denominations came together to do a massive multi-year study of effective Christian education. 150 congregations were randomly selected, spread across different denominations and different-sized churches. Adults, adolescents, teachers, and pastors were surveyed within each congregation. They, everybody's included in this. The resulting study formed the bedrock of literature behind Christian education for the last two decades. Anderson and Hill described the results of that study by saying this. The Search Institute, which is who did the study, the Search Institute's research evaluated what makes for effective Christian education in congregations. Perhaps the most stunning and eye-opening conclusion was that the most important factor for faith formation did not take place in the congregation at all, but in the home, i got to break into my manuscript here because this is crazy. Their job was to study church Christian education programs, and what they found was that wasn't an important factor. It's crazy. Sorry. The study concluded that of the two strongest connections to faith maturity, family religiousness and lifelong Christian education, family religious- religiousness was slightly more important. The family experiences most tied to greater faith maturity are the frequency with which an adolescent talks with his or her mother and father about faith, the frequency of family devotions, and the frequency with which parents and children together were involved in efforts, formal or informal, to help other people. We're going to talk about those in depth in a few minutes. Each of these family experiences is more powerful than the frequency with which an adolescent sees his or her parents engage in religious behavior like church attendance. To me, these results are stunning. And what this boils down to is it's not enough for your children to see you being a Christian. Otherwise as they age, Christianity will be the thing that mom and dad do. Christianity needs to be the thing we do. Together as a family, how often do you talk to your children about your faith? How often do you pray or worship together at home? Are you serving with your children? Again, we're going to turn to these disciplines in a moment, but I also want to, again, break into the manuscript and say that that's why children stay in here for the first part of worship. I know I have a three-year-old. He doesn't sing on key. He doesn't sing what he's supposed to sing. It makes it harder. I know. But our children need to see us worshiping. It's not enough to see us coming into a church building. They need to see us worshiping, and they need to worship with us. So sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Next principle. I've lost count. Faith is caught more than it is taught. Christianity is not just a worldview. It's a way of life. It's not just a series of facts and figures, logical propositions and their conclusions. It's a way of life. What studies are teaching us more and more is that children and adolescents need to be invited into a new way of life. They need to see the impact that faith has on your life and their life if they are going to keep that faith into adulthood. So much of our attempts to pass on our faith center around head knowledge and education, probably because it's the easiest and requires the least of us. And while it's important to learn the stories of our faith, it, can, it can't come at the experience, uh, sorry, it can't come at the expense of experiencing the Christian life as we have all come to experience it. I believe this is the last principle. If we want Christian children and youth, we need Christian adults and parents. How do Christians pass on their faith from a m- macro level? Through Christian adults and parents inviting their children and youth and the children and youth in their church into caring, trusted, personal relationship. And through talking with children and youth about your faith. Worshiping and serving together. But what is the nitty-gritty? That's the macro level. What's the nitty-gritty? What practices, what things can we do to be effective at this? So glad you asked. We have four keys Caring conversations, devotions, service, rituals, and traditions—we're and going to do them all at the same time. But first, the story: Becky, a 21-year-old college student, had grown up knowing that her dad attended church services regularly. What she didn't know was that he began most days by praying and reading his Bible at 5:30 in the morning before heading off to work. One day, Becky got up early to prepare for a college exam and she discovered her dad at the kitchen table, reading his Bible. She was greatly surprised, although she had long wondered why that Bible sat on top of the microwave in the kitchen. Now she knew, and the moment touched her life in ways that her dad's routine church attendance had not. The Christian faith gained new vitality for her as she witnessed in her dad a commitment to living and growing in his faith in a way she had not seen before. The end result of this episode was Becky resolving to go back to church. We have spent most of our time today talking about the need to connect the church and home if Christians want to pass on their faith. And now we turn to four practices that will bridge that gap. Anderson and Hill report that a common theme they hear from parents and congregations they work with is, what I want is not only to have faith in my home, but also a good relationship with my kids. These four keys, these four practices, will accomplish both. Nowhere is this more true than in having caring conversations with your children or with children and youth in your church and in your life. Over and over again, studies show that what youth look for from adults is someone to listen to them. Someone to have a real conversation with them, someone in whom they can confide. They want this from their parents. We think children and youth want nothing to do with us. It's just not true. They want us to talk to them, they want us to take an interest in their lives. They want to talk to us and they want us to listen. This can be done in a myriad of ways. Whether it's sitting down to dinner or in another venue to have intentional time and have a real conversation with children and youth, whether it's through writing personal notes, even meeting youth where they are and sending an an in-depth email or text. Or if you're looking for something more official, different organizations will put out faith talk cards that will open up the conversation youth are looking for guidance and for conversation if you want yours to be the faith that is passed on to your children if you want yours to be the faith that is passed down to children and youth in your church engage them in those conversations and this isn't just for parents either all adults can have caring conversations with children and youth in church one of the things that the search institutes study pointed out was um, for a while in church we have said that we need one adult for every five children um, That is not at all uh, how it needs to be. We need five adults for every one youth, five adults for every one child. Uh, The next key is daily home devotionals. French monk Brother Lawrence called a devotional life practicing the presence of God. Daily devotions when practiced in the home are a way to check in with God and and with each other every day. It's a way to teach children how to read the Bible and a way to help them see how the Bible applies to your daily life and how it can apply to their daily life. A natural hang-up to this is, uh, what happens if my kids ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? What if they see that I'm still learning? As your pastor, let me assure you, I have been asked questions about faith and theology and God that I don't know the answer to. Just ask me about the Trinity. As your pastor, let me assure you that I am still learning. And it's a beautiful lesson to how our faith is a lifelong journey if our children see that even as adults, we can have new insights, a new discovery, a new learning. And they'll see that more important than always being right or knowing the right answer is the repeated act of checking in with God and with each other. We'll recall the story of Becky who renewed her faith when she saw how her father practiced his daily devotions. The United Methodist Church Discipleship website has seasonal resources for family devotions if you want to do them in your home. And N.T. Wright has a great uh, commentary series. Um, It's the For Everyone commentary series, and you just take a book of the Bible, and Luke for everyone, Mark for everyone, Timothy for everyone. Um, That is great. Uh, It's really accessible for older children on up. If you have very young children, and you are stuck... Simply reading a story out of a storybook Bible and asking the child for their thoughts will do wonders for their faith. The third key is service. About service, Anderson and Hill say, when parent and child together perform service activities, the child, see, the child sees the parent's capability, faith, and values in action. The cross-generational bond takes place not only in the service event, but in the retelling of the event through the years. We call this the aha remember when syndrome. So do family service in the home together. Help someone in the community together. Serve through community agencies or your church together. And wouldn't you know... We have something coming up that is per- We have two things coming up that are perfect for that. You can do the iWalk with literally any age. Um, and it, it's a great way, when your kids ask, why are we doing this, to say, because this organization helps people and we believe it's important to help people. On October 21st, uh, our children and youth are going gleaning. It's a gleaning and event, so children, youth, and their parents. Um, this is a great way to go and serve, uh, to collect apples, because apple picking is awesome. Um, and it goes to the Society of St. Andrew, uh, I believe, who then gleans the, takes those gleaned apples and um, gives them to food banks and um, organizations that need fresh produce. Um, can be done. I just took a three-year-old apple picking. You can do it with any age. Uh, Serve with children and youth, whether they're whether they're your children and youth, or whether they're children and youth in your church, and then tell them why we're doing what we do. The fourth key is rituals and traditions. Humans are creatures who learn from routine and from repeated action. We learn what is important to our family through the rituals and traditions that our family follows. Whether it's the ritual of sitting down every Sunday to watch our favorite football team, a weekly or monthly dinner with extended family, or regular church attendance, rituals and traditions teach in profound ways, and we all have rituals and traditions whether or not we know it. That's why we do communion every week here. One time my three-year-old came through the communion line but didn't eat his bread right away. He was halfway down the hall back to the children's area when Miss Janice told him it was okay. He could eat his bread. He looked at her and said, We eat this because Jesus loves us, right? Rituals and traditions speak to us in ways that we can all understand. What rituals and traditions does your family have? What do they communicate about what's important? This afternoon, look around your home and identify the faith and values communicated by how you have structured space and what you have brought into your home. What changes or additions could you make? Those, key, those four keys will help serve as the bridge between your faith and your children's, between the ministry of the congregation and the ministry of the home. We have three characteristics of faith-bearing adults. Uh, We're almost done, I promise. Sorry, I got really excited writing this, and I just wrote and wrote and wrote, and I apologize, and I will soon remember how to write a a five-and-a-half-page sermon. Sorry. Three characteristics of faith-bearing adults are authenticity, availability, and affirmation. We have spent a lot of time uh, talking about parents and passing on faith to children, but our children and youth don't just need Christian parents. They need multiple Christian adults in their lives, not one to five, one adult to five children or youth, five adults for every one child or youth. And they need you to be an active part of their lives. Our children and youth don't need taxi drivers. They don't need babysitters or chaperones. They don't need patrons subsidizing programs. They need spiritual guides. And all of you can be spiritual guides for children and youth in your church. All it takes To be that are three characteristics of faith-bearing adults, the three A's, authenticity, availability, and affirmation. Are you authentically walking the talk? Are you practicing your faith, especially those four practices? Are you available to children and youth? Is there an interest that you can share with them, even if that interest has nothing to do with church? And will you affirm where they are in their journey? Will you accept them and love them as God has accepted them and loved them? Because you see, this isn't just a sermon for parents. It's not just a sermon about children. This is a sermon for Christians. In baptism, you have covenanted with parents, with children, and with the church to help raise in the faith all the children that we've baptized. It's what we call bait and switch, my friends. (laughs) So this is for all of you. Will our children have faith? The answer to that question is not on me. It's not on Brenda. It's not on Miss Janice. It's on you. How do Christians pass on their faith? When authentic, available, affirming Christian adults get involved in the lives of the next generation of Christians. So friends get to work. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, you have spoken into our hearts. You have spoken into our lives. Your grace and your love have been made known to us and have been made real to us. Help us to make it real for the children and youth of this church who have not seen what we have seen, who have not experienced what we have experienced, who have not felt what we have felt, but yet whom you love all the same. Help us to make your love and grace real to them. Help us to show them, not just tell, but show them, how real you are in our lives and how much our faith in you changes our lives. Help us, Lord, as we seek to show these children that you have given to us just how much you love them, just how much you want to nurture them, and just how much you have in store for them. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.